G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. The Story Got woken up at three o'clock in the morning by this four or five lyrics from a song I hadn't heard in decades blasting through my head, really quite sharply, and I was like, "Odd." You know, Easter Sunday morning, same thing. Three o'clock in the morning, same lyrics blasting through my head, and then on Easter Monday morning, same song, four a.m. blasting, same lyrics, and I literally sat up in bed and I went, "What? What are you trying to tell me?" G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, writer, journalist and PR professional Philippa Lowe says she's one of the most unlikely people to become a Christian. She was in her 40s and successful in her career when the death of her mother set her off on an unexpected spiritual journey. We'll hear Philippa's full story today as she has a chat with Eric Scadabo. Philippa, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Eric. Glad to have you with us. You're joining us via the telephone from Sydney, Australia. And you have a blog called One Week in August, and the subtitle is Lost in Translation, A Writer Gets to Know the Jesus Fella. That's a pretty intriguing title there. Can you kind of unpack that for us? Yeah, so I started blogging, well, originally the blog began when my mom passed away um, probably a decade ago. Mm -hmm. And as a writer, it was just a place for me to kind of put all my kind of angst and processing. Um, And then, so I would write about the experience of grief and people would be reading it and sort of sharing their stories. Um, And at the time, I I was fairly, I would say I was agnostic. Mm -hmm. Um, So when my mom died, I'd sort of, you know, had these very kind of new agey, universal thoughts about, you know, she's just, I don't know, floating around and smiling at me. Mm -hmm. And um, on the morning of her funeral I had this really vivid dream and my mom had been disabled for many years and I had this very very vivid dream of her running through a field of wildflowers surrounded by kids and my mom had been a bit of a kid magnet I think being in the wheelchair because she was at their height they would always gravitate towards her Mm. Um, and it was just this really really lovely image Um, and then I woke up and I said to my husband oh I've had this really powerful dream of mom and he said oh he said oh so did I and this is what I shared, and he'd had exactly the same dream. Wow. Um, Gives you chills, it, doesn't it? Uh, it? It really was that sort of, it, we both got really teary. But again, because I had sort of my very kind of new agey face, again, it was very much, okay, this is a sign from the universe and, you know, that she's okay. Hmm. And it was, it's very kind of like that therapeutic deism that kind of goes on in, in new age. So I kind of packed it away, and, and that was it, really. Um, and I hadn't done any more blogging. And then I suppose when someone dies, you do kind of, you can't but help but think about, you know, your place in the world and um, stuff like that. But I'd never really kind of thought much about Christianity at all. Um, My children were actually attending a Christian school, but purely because it was a K-12 school and I'd been (laughs) at a K-12 school in England and I kind of went, yeah, nice, solid, um, long, you know, longitudinal schooling. And my husband had had like five primary school so he'd had quite a bit of upheaval so he was like yep we like that and 
I confess, I did decide I could navigate the Christian conversation and just sort of push that to the side. And then the school advertised for a um, communications officer. And I was like, oh, I reckon I could do that. So I applied and I actually was surprised they interviewed me because I did, um, one of the criteria was practicing Christian active in their church and I've probably not been inside a church apart from the odd midnight Christmas Eve service when I would sneak in and not make eye contact with anyone. And it was a great interview, but the principal called me later and he said, Phil, I think and this is going to be the worst phone call I've ever had to make because the second round of interviews, we would want you to put some strategic thinking into what you would offer the school as a communications consultant. And I can't in good faith ask you to do that kind of work knowing that I wouldn't be offering you the role because the questions we'd asked you about faith, you actually didn't answer around Christ. And you would have to be my proxy in certain situations. So, look, I'm really sorry. And I, I recall kind of saying something like, oh, well, you don't have to be at church, do you, to, to kind of have faith? Um, probably demonstrating how little I knew really mm. about the Christian faith um, even more. And he... And I, he answered, and it was interesting, and it's always stuck in my head, and he said to me, ah, but it's more about kind of like the structure, which pressed on me, and it wouldn't go away, the sense of what do you mean about structure? And also, I think unwillingly, I, I, I was quietly impressed that he was willing to really stand on his faith, because he could have just employed me for my skill set. Like, yeah. in terms of the skill set, yeah. he, he said, you nail it. And I thought, oh, and of course, I admit, my ego was totally pricked. And I, we were going away that weekend, and it was Easter, and we were going away to Great Mackerel Beach, and we got the ferry over, and there was like a communal library for all the holiday makers who were going over where you could exchange your books. And it was in the old boat shed, the old ferry shed, and as I, I wandered in to see what kind of book I could read and have a look what was there, and there were hundreds of books there. And mm-hmm. the only book that fell out at my feet was the Bible. It just happened to fall out? Just had there, yeah, there was no creaky floorboards, there was no wobbling, there was no one around. It was literally just piles of books and this one falls out. And I remember looking down at it and sort of rolling my eyes, going, oh, Christians wouldn't give me a job. Um, <laughs> and kind of muttered under my breath and kind of found our holiday house and kind of went to bed, you know, and then got woken up at three o'clock in the morning by... There's four or five lyrics from a song I haven't heard in decades blasting through my head and I woke me up really quite sharply and I was like, what's odd? And could have dozed back off and but didn't sleep fully and then got up early and went for a walk on the beach and there was this boat going across the harbour and it was putting up its sails and emblazoned on the sails was a Mr. Christian. And I was like looking at the word Christian going, oh, Christian. You can't get away from it. No, can't get away from it. And then that was sort of what was that? That was the early Saturday morning. And then Easter Sunday morning, same thing. Three o'clock in the morning, same lyrics blasting through my head. What was the song in your head? Um, Jennifer Warns, the song of Bernadette, which is from the famous Blue Raincoat album, um, which is the songs and poems of Leonard Cohen that she put to music. Mm -hmm. And like I, I hadn't heard it for ages. And the line was, so many hearts I found, broken like yours and mine, torn by what we've done and can't undo. I just want to hold you. Won't you let me hold you like Bernadette would do? Wow. So God then, was bringing these things to your mind. Oh, oh, yeah. Like big time. And then on Easter Monday morning, same song, 4 a.m., blasting, same lyrics. 
And I literally sat up in bed and I went, what? What are you trying to tell me? You know, and I'd had enough new age signs in my life to go, okay, there's something, I'll, I'll run with it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, this sort of voice that was of me, but not mine, said, literally said, sort it out. You have all this unconditional love for all these, you know, other faiths and religions. I'd had a very kind of yogic Eastern blend of, you know, yoga, very blended kind of multiple paths of spiritualism. Mm-hmm. Um, what about Christianity? So it re- and, and it was really quite confronting. I, I, I kind of sat there and went, you know, um, I don't know if I'm going to look into Christianity. Actually, that's kind of, isn't that a bit of a boring, out-of-date kind of religion? What? What? Um, <laughs> you you weren't of, so interested in that spiritual No, angle. and I distinctly remember this sort of kind of rolling my eyes, like, really? Um, and then kind of going, thinking to myself, well, you know, how, how am I going to explain this kind of like talking with signs and stuff? And then I just, Remember this kind of sense of, you know, the story of Solomon, um, you know, God and, you know, was it Samuel and being woken up oh, yeah. <laughs> by yeah. God in dreams? And I was like, oh. like, I'd done enough at school scripture decades and decades before um, to kind of have a vague recollection. So I, oh, and I dozed back off. And the next morning I said to my husband, look, I had this really kind of strange dream thing overnight. And my husband at the time, I guess he, he'd grown up in a Catholic home and he hadn't been at church, but he probably had more awareness of Christianity than certainly I did. And, and he said something like, well, well, Phil, Jesus did have to ask Peter three times, which is just a really kind of cheeky comment. And I was like, oh, you know, you're not helping. But when I, we came back to Sydney and that, it just wouldn't go away. Like it just kept pressing, pressing on me, that, that sense of I need to actually look into this. And, and it really surprised me that it wouldn't go away. I thought it would just, I'd come home from Mackerel, Great Mackerel Beach and I'd get back into my routine and that would be it. But it really kept pressing and pressing. And in the end, I Googled, learn more about Jesus and then a couple of suburbs near, well, around near where the kids' school was. Because I went, okay, let's see what pops up. And a church that was doing a Christianity Explored course popped up. But I'd missed I think four of the six weeks, or however many weeks there were. So I'd missed most of it. Mm-hmm. So I looked, and I sort of exhaled, and I again rolled my eyes, and then yeah, I picked up the phone, and I dialed the number. And the person who answered the phone probably blew every kind of stereotype I had about men of the cloth and pastors completely out the water. Well, what was um, your stereotype? Because you mentioned that you kind of had a spiritual hangover. So kind of what was your your hang-up about Christianity up to this point? Well, I guess, I you know, I'm, I was at, like, my, that kind of school, private school in England I was at, that had, a, you know, had a chapel and it had, we had, there was scripture, but it, it didn't kind of make, seem to make any sense or relevance to my life. So I would be, you know, let's say a 14-year-old in the school chapel looking at a bloke in a black dress at the front of the chapel going, how do you understand my life. I don't get what you're talking about. You know, you know, you so it probably, seemed completely irrelevant to your life. It, it did totally seem mm-hmm. irrelevant, you know, and there's me thinking, well, you wouldn't, you wouldn't understand, you know, my teenage angst or it didn't speak to me in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so here you are how many years later and suddenly you, you can't think about anything else but this. I know. I know. It's like, you know, was not doing enough kind of study at school on this stuff enough. Why is it, <laughs> why is it coming back in my head now? Um, so I called this church and the bloke at the end of the phone 
had this hilarious conversation with me where he was asking all these questions about, you know, why did you call? And, oh, and I, I threw everything at him. I said, right, I've been away. I didn't get a job. <laughs> I've been a great man. <laughs> Still mad about the job, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he, he actually threw everything at him in this conversation. And, and he said... Oh, and he asked a few more questions, including that like, you've got kids, you're married, what are your names of your kids? And I said their names. Um, and my daughter's name is Grace. <laughs> and he, oh. he, he said to me later, that was a real tell. <laughs> <laughs> so he said, oh, okay. And, and at the end of the conversation, we'd agreed that he would send me some links. And I said, look, I don't need to come to church. Just send me some material to read. I'll ask you some questions via email, and I'm sure that'll be it. And he said, I know how this ends. And even now, I remember the very physical sensation of what that felt within me when he said that. And I, I remember kind of, it, I call it, it was almost like a vomit-like feeling, like th- that real surge of something significant is about to happen. But you didn't like it? Oh, no, no, no. And I, and I went, well, can you just tell me now and save you some time? <laughs> and, and he just said, laugh. And he said, no, I reckon it'll be really good fun watching. You're listening to The Story. Today, writer, journalist and PR professional Philippa Lowe is sharing her unlikely journey to faith in Christ. She was in her 40s and seeking spiritual truth. And as we just heard, she called a local pastor, who she's gone on to call a smart aleck pastor. We'll find out the profound impact he had on her life when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. Today our guest is writer, journalist and PR professional Philippa Lowe, sharing her unlikely journey to faith in Christ while she was in her 40s. As we heard before the break, she called a local pastor seeking answers to her spiritual questions. Next, we'll hear the profound impact he had on her life. It was the first time I was able to engage in what I would call a solid conversation with an adult about their faith. Mm -hmm. And in credit to him, he was very willing for me to rummage around in it, pull it apart, be challenging, ask all these questions. And he was very kind and very patient and would just answer them back and point me to different things to read. So you know, he said, oh, you know, C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity would might be a good book for you because you, you're a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's a good so recommendation. Sort of different resources that he pointed me towards. And I think as well, because I'm a journalist, I realized, I think in my heart quite quickly, that this is something significant. But my head needed to know that this was absolute solid Mm. because it would have to stand up to some serious questioning because I knew what my circle of friends was like and they were all pretty much agnostic atheists. Mm -hmm. Um, So this would not be popular with them? No, and it's just, I didn't have any Christians in my life apart from maybe the ones I saw at school who I tried to avoid. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So no, it it just didn't fit in my worldview at all. And, you know, and there's such a stereotype. You asked about, you know, really understanding. The stereotypes about Christianity was very much, my perception was you, you're a do-gooder who is perfect. 
had to go to church every Sunday. And there was no way that, in my opinion, that I fitted into that box. Yeah. So why? Why would this make sense? And I actually remember very early email that this pastor replied to. And I think I'd actually kind of brain dumped out quite a few questions. And one thing that had happened early in my life was when I was 10 and my parents divorced, my mother had attempted suicide. She'd mm. taken an overdose of sleeping tablets. Now, she survived, but I do remember there were people, Christian people at the time, who came around with talk of judgment and sin rather than comfort. So they were saying that the attempting the suicide was a sin and kind of yeah. condemning and rather yeah. than being comforting. Yeah. And so I actually kind of, and I think in my, probably my second email to this pastor kind of said, don't get me started about, you know, sin and judgment and Christians and blah, blah. And, and in this email, he wrote back and he said, in regards to your mom, some denominations say it's a sin. He said, the Bible doesn't, Jesus doesn't. He said, and, you know, what your family needed in its darkest hour was someone coming around with food and love and support. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. I'm really sorry that people who say they're Christians sometimes don't behave like it. And there were two things in that sentence that jumped out at me. As a writer, he'd used um, an apostrophe correctly for the round, for A and a round. <laughs> so he's good use Speaking of grammar. Speaking your love was, language, so to speak. <laughs> it was perfect grammar spoke to me. And the second thing was it really moved me that he a, hadn't been there at what, eight, nine years old where I, at that time when I was there, mm-hmm. but he bothered to apologize on other people's behalf. Because mm. I thought, actually, it's not, it's, why would you say sorry? So I, that was a really significant thing for me. Yeah. And it probably reframed that Christian hangover quite quickly because I was like, oh, okay, this is possibly more heart there here than I thought. Yeah, because um, it, it sounds like you kind of had this idea in your mind of Christians being the do-gooders who are perfect, who condemn everyone. Is that fair yeah. to say? Yeah, and from he kind of just experience. yeah, and he kind of just took that whole idea and threw it out the window and said, "No, you're supposed to be loving and caring for people who are hurting." Yeah, yeah. So that sort of really brought me up quite quickly. I went, mm-hmm. "Oh, okay." Uh, and then my research into well, okay, if this is big and impactful as it says it is, how come, when I was told about it, how come a bloke coming back to life didn't have more impact? (laughs) Like, isn't that rather big? Like, in terms of when I was taught about Christianity, people don't come back to life. Yeah. Really. So, okay, this has to, if this is true, I have to be able to stand up and defend this because Mm -hmm. otherwise people will think I'm an absolute not not back. Okay. (laughs) So I actually have to then go off and do the research and decide, does this stand up? So it was much, for me, I I didn't get converted through the Bible. I got converted through Timothy Keller's Reason for God in an Age of Skepticism because I was reading all these apologetics. Mm -hmm. And I finally, my head finally got to, oh my gosh, this is true. I mean, I'm a PR person. So Mm -hmm. if you were going to pull off the biggest hoax of the first century, you wouldn't have done it the way that it's been laid out in the Gospels. <laughs> oh, really? No, because what's the first thing that any kind of PR credibility delivers? It's your spokespeople. Your spokespeople have to have credibility, otherwise people don't believe it's happened. The first people that Jesus appeared to after he resurrected were women. Their lowest social standing mm, yeah. in the early first century would have meant that their testimony was totally invalid. But this was the, these are the things that started kind of really breaking through at my head level, where I went, actually, this happened. You know, there, there are verifiable eyewitnesses 
that, you know, non-biblical mm-hmm. sources yep. refer to. So it was always like my head caught up with my heart. Yeah, well, I mean, how and did went, history change so much? And that's what I, I said. It was, it, what I landed on really was, well, okay, I have to own, as a PR pro, change communication takes years. For a message to be adopted and really adopted, it can take years. And yet Christianity took off at speed. Yeah, in the first century, yeah. Yeah, and people died for it. Not, mm-hmm. And yep. I thought, well, if it was just some other wacky bloke saying he was a messiah who died and then didn't come back to life and they were just trying to pull his hopes off, what had they seen that made them realize their own death was not final? Hmm. And I went, okay. So that's the bit where I went, all right, and... A gentleman at church also, I'd started popping along to the church and kind of sitting at the back and listening and kind of observing Christians and kind of going, okay, you're actually normal, intelligent people. You're not perfect, shiny. Now, one of the things I'd had to learn was that, you know, churches are hospitals for the broken, not museums for the perfect. Mm. Um, And one guy, probably many a month in, uh, I walked into church and he's like, so how's your kind of face walk going? How? And I said something very loose, like, you know, God and I are having lots of conversations because I wasn't ready to be pinned down. Mm-hmm. And he said to me, yeah, he said, but Jesus is the lightning rod. Jesus is the one you have to get to grips with. And it was such a perfect line for me because I'd been trying to step around him. And that was when I went, you know what? Yes, I have to do the research on this. Like I'm hearing, I'm hearing about it, mm-hmm. but I was still shying away from, are you really who you say you are? And that's when I really stuck into the apologetics and went, yeah, my head. It was almost like my heart wanted it. It was like my heart had galloped along going, this is phenomenal. Like after a new age upbringing and agnosticism where you're told you can sort create your world and you can be anything that you want to be if you just keep thinking the right thoughts, that can be exhausting. Hmm. Because if anyone is brutally honest with themselves, laying faith in yourself is a really dodgy proposition. Hmm. So to be able to actually look outside of me and go, no, someone loves me enough who is willing to take flesh, die the most humiliating of death, and then overcome death just because they want to be in relationship with me. Hang on, that's way better than me trying to do it on my own. Wow, that's <laughs> profound. So that was it, was it was that whole notion of suddenly understanding that God, Jesus is fully God and Jesus is fully human, meant that he as a human understands my fears, my failings, um, my, you know, even the stuff we don't even admit to ourselves because mm. we're actually, we, we can't even go that deep. To know that he can go there with us as fully human, but then as fully God, knowing that he overcomes death and is victorious every time, like, why wouldn't you want to be on that team? Like, <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, he knows your the deepest longings of your heart, uh, your search for identity, for purpose. Yeah. So that was a fast, maybe, I don't know, six, eight, eight weeks, maybe, and I'd started sort of blogging as a means of, to be, as a way just to start making sense of this all. Okay, before we end today, I want to ask you about that Anglican pastor who, right at the beginning of your spiritual journey, he said that, I know where this is going. So how did that end? Did he actually know where it was going, your spiritual yeah, journey? Yeah, so I, I kind of, as the weeks unfolded and I found myself going, yeah, you know, this, this is it for me, um, I called him back and I said, how did you know? And he said, Bill, 
He said, in 20 years of being a ministry, he said, I've never answered the phone to someone who's gone, Oi, tell me more about Jesus. He <laughs> said, it just doesn't happen. He said, and I asked you some questions. He said about, you know, what had been going on in your life, you know, your background. He said, it, it kind of showed me that you were searching in, you'd been searching in a few places. He said, and you told me about the dreams and the, you know, the, the song. And he said, and the, you know, the song lyric. And he thought, he said, I thought to myself, you know what? I reckon God's hunting this one down and mm. I know God doesn't lose a chase. And then he said, and you also told me the name of your daughter in that first phone conversation. And he said, and as soon as you said grace, I just went, okay. So he said about, um, I know how this ends. He said, really, he said, I, he said, I probably said more than I knew, but no less than I hoped. And yeah, and it's been a really kind of encouraging kind of faith relational journey to, um, I think, to look back at sort of how clearly God places people in your life to support you on your faith walk. But not just any people, but people that uniquely you can relate to. Yeah, and I think that's sort of, that's God's character. You know, he mm-hmm. knows every hair in our head. He yep, sang over yep. us as he knits together in our mother's womb. He knows what we need. And for me, I obviously needed a smart Alec pastor. <laughs> <laughs> and you, the two of you have gone on to be good friends? Yeah, we have. We've become great friends, and it's been a real blessing. Yeah. And God placed him in your life just when you needed that type of person to share about yeah. Jesus. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for sharing your journey with us today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. That was Eric Scadabo chatting with writer, journalist and PR professional Philippa Lowe about her unlikely journey to faith in Christ. And if you'd like to learn more about her spiritual journey, you can read her highly entertaining blog, which can be found at oneweekinaugust.com. That's oneweekinaugust.com. Finally, as we heard, Philippa's spiritual quest began in middle age, a time when many people are already pretty much set in their views and convictions. But... This is a good reminder that God never gives up on anyone. As it says in the Bible, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards us, not wishing that anyone should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Well, thanks for joining us for Philippa's fascinating story. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story... The club was doing some development work with the first and second year players where they took a bunch of them into a context that was obviously outside their comfort zone. And we went to Cambodia, we worked with an organisation over there called Tabitha that builds homes for the poorest of the poor and we helped build those homes. And, and it was during that trip that I was just deeply impacted by the plight of some of these people. As soon as I got home, I kind of penned this song, Picking Up the Pieces, which is about the genocide and the story of Cambodia. Paul Morrison, better known as Morrow, is a singing chaplain for the West Coast Eagles. We'll hear his story and some of his music next time. The Story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life.